it's the key for our success. We need to be able to design a process that's robust enough to support this kind of event, this kind of uncertainty. Welcome to the Supply Chain Show, featuring compelling interviews with remarkable supply chain leaders. Listen in as our guests share their learning and insights on today's supply chain challenges. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, a principal consultant with Oliver White. This week, as our guest, we have Marcus Augusto, head of America's supply chain and commercial management for RHI Magnesita. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us today, Marcus. Why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I'm Brazilian. Uh, I live in, in, in Belo Horizonte. It's the capital of Minas Gerais State. It's, for the ones not familiar with Brazil, it's like... Uh, one hour by plane from Sao Paulo in Rio de Janeiro. And I'm 49 years old. Uh, I started my career always in, in supply chain. In fact, I'm a mechanical engineer. I don't know why I chose a mechanical engineer because in Brazil, it's, it's a kind of different the way that you choose when you go to the university. We need in the first year, right, choose the choose the course you graduated. At the end, I decided uh, mechanical engineer, but I was lucky that uh, during the course, there's a lot of uh, lessons on, on supply chain, production planning, material planning. And then I start to go more in this area of industrial engineer. Uh, after that, I did a master degree in industrial engineer. And now I'm 25 years working basically in supply chain. And now all parts of supply chain, production planning, demand planning, inventory management. I work in several industries uh, before I go to RGI Magnesit. I work in auto parts, automotive, uh, food, because I work for three, four years as a consultant. So I have the chance to, to go to different business sectors. And now I'm 20 years already on the refractory and mining business. That's the, the main business of RHI Magnesita. Always in supply chain functions. Now in the new function, that's uh, part of commercial management and continue with the supply chain activities. How have things changed for you, Marcus, since all of this COVID-19 issue that we're dealing with? Are you working remotely or what does life look like for you now? Yeah, we are working remotely since uh, beginning of March. We put almost everybody that can go to home, it's now working from home since March. Only you have the operators going to the plant, really going to the factory. Uh, but all the supply chain, commercial, everything, finance, HR, everything, everybody that can go to the work from home, uh, go to working from home, they are working from home. So it's since March 18th, I guess. So it's now it's five months. Tomorrow will be five months working from home. It's, it's quite different. There's a lot of myths about working from home. Uh, one, it's the, the people is not so productive. They have a lot of distractions. And in fact, it's, uh, uh, we saw right now it's the opposite. People use it's, it's to be more productive. One of the reasons to be is because in our city we still have this kind of street quarantine. So the restaurant's not open. So a lot of things not open. So in fact, people don't have too many things to do. So the only thing they have to do is to work. So <laughs> usually we start to work and when we realize it's 6, 7 uh, p.m. at night already, and they, oh, no, 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 you need to stop. 
but this is one of the myths that uh, the pandemic, uh, uh, I think, broke down. It's people work from home is not so productive. They have a lot of distractions. They are not doing what they're supposed to do. And, and I think it's quite, quite well. So even, even when we have this, this quarantine over, I think the option for a lot of people is continue to work from home uh, some days at the week. I need you to understand that in Brazil is not so common. So in Brazil, it's, it's common. People really go to the office the five days, the working from home, home office is not so often common like you have in US or other countries. Usually, uh, even it's, it's stated in the people contract that they need to go to the office the, the five days in the week. So it's another change. So a lot of people, a lot of companies now it's, it's making these changes and you have impact. We have impact in the real estate. So, I think there's a lot of these office buildings will be empty. People will start to read, discussing the rental. So it's a lot of things to come, but I think everything that you say that's right now is true, cannot be true. So we need to wait to see the real impact. And what about leading during this situation? So moving the teams to be at home while still managing operations that are very much on site and happening. How have you had to change your own leadership style during this time? Yeah, it's more difficult because uh, uh, we are very social people, especially here in Latin America. So we like to meet the people, to talk with the people, to get close to the people. Uh, sometimes it's in fact is a distraction because sometimes we spend so much time in the coffee room instead of the to the go to the real topics, but it's, it's helped a lot because you get a lot of insights when you're talking with the people on a daily basis. Right now we lost this kind of connection. So it's everything through, through uh, uh, online. So basically are doing emails, phone calls, uh, video calls. Uh, what I did since the beginning, it's, it's uh, with my team. Uh, we have a, like a routine, uh, three times per week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we do a kind of checking. So every morning, like 8.30, we do like a half, uh, half an hour meeting, just quick. In fact, not, not to discuss the business topics, but to talk with the people, how we're doing, anything new. So really to create a kind of environment that people that we are close, that are not so distant. So we are doing this uh, three times per week. And, and we always provide in the kinds, kind of meetings that we try to turn on the cameras. We did some kind of uh, uh, online happy hours on the meeting and start to talking about the daily, daily life, about sports, about anything. It's, it's uh, helping us to, to keep the connection. Uh, as I said, for this, the, the job side, it, it's not so many impact because uh, in fact, although we are going to the office every day, people, it's, it's always busy. So it's, we are keeping the routine of the meetings that you have in the past. We have a weekly meetings. We have a monthly results meeting. Uh, we are keeping this, basically we are keeping the routine. It just change from the presential to, uh, online, online, uh, meetings. So there's no, so many big changes on that. That's great. The the interaction with the people and the focus on the people is one of the reasons I always love working in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite important. This is the reason that this half an hour meeting, we're not discussing about issues, about problems, because we have the specific meetings for that. Right. It's really 
to give some people some comfort. So let's talk. How was your day? You're okay. Oh, you see the game. What you're doing? You see this movie? What you're? It's really true to keep this this distance lower. Uh, we're not seeing each other. We're not meeting each other, but we are trying to keep the same attachments. You know, it sounds like you've really had the opportunity to adapt to the situation. So in many, many ways, trying to keep things normal. You know, as I think about leadership, um, one of the things that I talk to many of my guests about is how leadership evolves over time. And we find that as individuals share their stories, oftentimes their definition of leadership or their perspective on leadership changes throughout their own development, throughout their own career. And part of that is adapting to the challenges that they face. Can you talk to us about what it means to you to be a supply chain leader and how maybe that has changed for you over your career? For me, the, the leadership, it comes when you really, it's, you are able to make this transition from the like technical, the technical uh, uh, part of the job uh, to really go to the relations, really go to the communication process, go to the more to the soft skills of the of, of the process. I, I, I realized that because at the beginning I was quite so technical. It's okay, I was engineer, I do a master degree, I have the I know the books, I know the theory, so I need to do this by the book, this way, this way. Uh, and as as I was of course uh, getting older, unfortunately uh, and, and progress in my career, I, I realized how much the soft skills are at sometimes much important, uh, the technical knowledge. So the technical knowledge is important. It's, it's, it's quite important. You need to have the theory behind. We need to know what you're talking about. We need to know the tools that you can use. Uh, but if you cannot uh, do this kind of transition, to understand the importance of to have the right people in the right place, the importance of uh, feedback uh, to the people, to have these discussions about performance, to really help the people give the support, to understand how the communication process is run in the company. Because for me, it's the biggest issues in most of the problems I have in the past and still having, it's related to communication. When you see it's not so technical, the, the issue, but it's, it's how the, the process goes to one area, to another, how it's communicated. When you really can understand this kind of, this kind of process, that's it go beyond the, the technical knowledge, I think you start really to understand the role of the leadership. Leadership is not uh, just knowing the process, knowing what to do. Sometimes it's, it's much important to how to do it. It's how to implement, how to do it, how to convince the people, how to talk to the people, then just go there and implement something that if you're not done in the right way, in one, two years or months ahead, it go falls down. Talking a bit more about the impact of COVID-19 beyond the leadership challenges that you've talked about, how is the world different for supply chain today in the midst of what we're dealing with? Is this a new reality for us or are we dealing with many of the things we already have been over the years, but maybe just in a different way? What's your view on how the world has changed with COVID-19 for supply chain? 
I think we didn't see yet uh, what would be the results of the COVID-19. So as I said, everything that you forecast can be 100% wrong. Uh, of course, most of the business have have impact, but in fact, the problems that we are dealing as is is always the same. So, is the volatility, is the uncertainty about demand. Uh, this crisis just increases uh, the size of the volatility of the size of the uncertainty. Uh, there's a way that you can deal with that. Uh, but one important thing is uh, change a, a lot the, pers the, the how the people look for this uncertainty. Most of the cases, people are very satisfied with just only using a statistical forecast that looking backward. So I have three years historical data, I have 10 years historical data, so I can really forecast the future because I have this bunch of data, everything that was purchased or shipped in the last 10 years. So I really can forecast everything. So it's one of the myths that's probably will go down because uh, for a lot of uh, markets, probably the demand pattern will change. Uh, a lot of people that's not used to buy things online and now they only this option is to buy online and then they start to be comfortable with that. So uh, there's definitely be a change on the consumption uh, pattern. So people see people that have maybe two, three cars in the house, maybe they realize they don't need to have too much, too much cars in the house, maybe one or two for the family is enough, maybe one is enough. They realize that they really can work from home, as I said. So if I have a, a good connection, a good computer, so I don't need to go to the office uh, every day. So of course we impact the restaurants, it will impact public transportation, it will impact private transportation. At the end, we impact the uh, fuel consumption. So this is the reason that right now, looking to the past doesn't help anyway but you don't see the future yet. So this is the point. We, okay, the pattern, uh, the new standard for consumption, you'll be different from nowadays. But what you come, we don't know. People will really be more in the home office. We, we did some kind of researches internally and you saw that even some people that is very comfortable now working from home, when they have the chance, they want to go back to the office. So it depends on the person. So some people is very comfortable. They want to stay 100% working from home and some people want to go to the office. But how can, how be the scale of that? How to be for the all companies? So we are saying right now, probably the, the real estate can have impact in terms of the offices, size of the offices. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. So as I said, everything that you forecast now can be 100% right, 100% wrong. But definitely, we cannot look for the past. The past, uh, it's something that you're not helping us uh, anymore. And one thing that it's, I think you need to be aware, people say, oh, it's a, it's a changing event in, the, in, our, in our times. But I'm, I'm sure, like I could be 100% wrong, <laughs> In my in my assessment right now, that you be not this won't be the only one that you see in our lifetime. Uh, I was looking, reading. We have more. Just going to the specific of the coronavirus, 
we have more than 400 coronavirus virus uh, in the animals circulating. So what's the chance to another coronavirus goes to uh, humans in the next five years, 10 years? It's very likely that can happen because we have 400 that are now circulating. So if you think about all the mutations that the virus can have, so maybe you have discussing now COVID-19 and maybe unfortunately in five years you're discussing about COVID-25. It's, it's, it's a pity, but something that can happen. Let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> right? With everything we've been going on, but it's, it's an interesting point that you make to say these very large disruptive events, they're not once in a lifetime. And for many leaders over the course of our career, we've seen other disruptive events. They may not have been a virus. They might have been other things. I remember natural disasters over the course of my career that created issues. So how does a leader navigate all of this? What does it take to be a remarkable supply chain leader in the middle of this type of disruption? The first thing is uh, keep calm. In the beginning, when we have the start of the, this event, People start to think, oh, we're not shipping anything else. So I stopped the shipments. We stopped the customer. We cannot deliver anything. And in fact, we don't have any disruption in terms of supply chain. We continue to receive all the raw materials. We continue to produce. We continue to ship. You don't lost any shipment to a customer because of that. So we are able, of course, to have a drop in demand is another point. But in terms of, of disruption, uh, because of the crisis itself, it's not happened. Uh, one, one point why? Uh, one, we have very robust uh, process. Uh, second, it's, it's the engagement of the people. So people, they, again, going back to the, the people. So people were really able to do whatever what's possible to continue the process, to continue the shipments, uh, to really prioritize what's important, what's not important. Uh, at, at the end, we as uh, leaders, uh, we are able to give the people the right support, uh, to give the right priority. So stop to doing this. This project is not important anymore. We we'll discuss this project later in the future. Now let's focus right now and keep the business running. This was our, our first priority, keep the business running. And we are very successful on, on that. Uh, and later, let's going back to our agenda in terms of project of in terms of improvements i think this is the it's the key for our success uh, right now so what's the people is the engagement of the people as i said people uh, right now sometimes we're working more hours that they work if they are in the office uh, in some cases and sometimes you really say to people people please stop it's, it's not time to work right now it's eight of the night please stop Enjoy your family, go, go to rest. Uh, and the second is about process. When, when you're thinking about, about the process, uh, when you design the process, we need to be able to design a process that's robust enough to support this kind of events, su support this kind of uh, uncertainty. Switching gears just a bit, I'm interested to hear about improvements that you've made over your supply chain career that stand out for you. Can you tell us a story of a remarkable supply chain improvement that you've led? 
I think one that's always came to my mind, it's in fact on my first project in the company, it's in 2000. Uh, at that time, uh, the full planning process is it's made by hand in a gun chart, in a paper. Uh, people doing every day the scheduling of the plant. And the next day they erase everything because of course you have changes and do it again. So it's uh, every day doing the same thing on, on the paper. And in fact, uh, I, I joined the company uh, because at some point they hired a consultant, consultant's company that, that decided that the best way is to have a system to automate the full process. So basically they are doing for a manual process, a Gantt chart doing the paper to an APS with a genetic algorithm, very sophisticated. And then what's happened, nobody in the company understand what the software you do. Uh, since I have the theoretical knowledge, I, I, joined, I joined the company uh, and we start to work in a project and, and, and it's passing one month, two months, three months, six months. Uh, then we realized that the software are not able uh, to model in our current process. And then uh, we changed the version of the system, have a update on the, on the, on the version of the software. Uh, that was not released yet. Of course, it came with a lot of bugs, a lot of bugs. Uh, we, did, we did a kind of debugging for the software company because of a lot of mistakes. And at the end, it starts running and then we are stuck in a part of the process that we cannot solve. We have two uh, companies that are working together with us to implement the system. Uh, one of company uh, give up the project. They say it's never working. It's, it's not working. You never you work. So I prefer get out of the project. One company get out of the project. Uh, we're just keeping with the software provider. Uh, and then the whole team was reduced for three people, three, four people. We have in the beginning a lot of, a lot of people. And then at the end it's just three people. And, and people even start to not talk so much about the project. So let's see if the guys forget about this project. And then at the end, if everybody forgetting and forgotten, then you can, you can just stop the project. And you are stuck in a, in a point of the, the modeling that you cannot solve. Uh, and what's a real achievement that uh, it's, it's kind of funny because you are thinking on the, on, the, on, the, on the process, thinking, try to modeling, try to modeling, try to modeling, uh, have a lot of meetings with the guy from US discussing. And then one day uh, I was in the shower, I was in the shower uh, and I have an idea, if, if, you, if you do this or, or that. And then the next day I talk with the guys, we can do this, we can do that and it was the solution. So because, oh, you're right, you can do it. It's, 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 it's quite crazy. Uh, at the end, we implement the system. We really move for something like say very archaic that made by hand. It's everything on the planner's mind to a very, at the end, fancy system that's everything optimized. Uh, we have the full process of the plant, all the steps, all the, all the production steps uh, inside the system. 
just one of the plans that we implement uh, will have on time delivery increase from like 60 to 95 percent. We'll have a working process reduction of more than 50 percent. We'll have sometimes three, four months of of working process we can reduce for less than one month. Uh, now we are we don't use the software anymore, but the concept is the same. So now you continue to run like 10 days, seven days of working process. So it's really a transformation because uh, we saw that was possible to move all this personal knowledge that's on those people's mind and, and really system put in a system to create a process uh, and then to implement. It's, it's achievable. After that, of course, I participate in several projects, uh, but this one is remarkable for me because it was the first one. And uh, at some point is a project that everybody wants to forget, everybody wants to put under the carpet because they think they're not successful. And at the end it was very successful. What did you learn about yourself through that process? One is resilience. So if you believe that uh, it makes sense, like at the end, in the beginning, it's, it's really makes sense, the project itself. Uh, so we really need to, to stick to the process, try to find a solution, uh, because at the end, even if it's not 100% what you plan in the beginning, you can achieve like 80%, 90%, and maybe it's, it's okay. Uh, second, it's really to, to choose well your partners because as I said, one of the companies uh, left the project. Uh, the whole group that you have worked the project at the end is just three people. So it's the people that until now I have a, a personal relationship with them because what people that support me in the project uh, to, to, to implement. Uh, and, and another point it's, it's about technology, that technology can drive you to a better results. But if you not have the right use of technology, you, how really to, to use it, just the technology by itself is not, is not proven enough. Comes back to the people. Yeah, again. Uh, right now, everybody's uh, looking for innovation process. We heard a lot about oh, industry 4.0, uh, digitalization. And, and the problem for me is sometimes people think as technology as the end of itself. If I just they have technology, I have the best software, I have the best computers, uh, I have my problem solved. And this is not the case. Uh, this one myth that I think people think just go into the state of art in terms of technology, in terms of system, uh, there you have the problem solved. And as much as uh, working on supply chain, understand that the most of the problems go back to people's behavior, go back to the uh, people culture, go back to the communication process. We discuss a lot, uh, you remember uh, on the, IBP process about the bias. Oh, why the people always forecasting higher? Why the people always forecasting lower? It's behavior. You can have the best system to make a forecast, but at the end, when you have a human input, 
you can have this kind of this kind of behavior. Uh, we are discussing sometimes that's something that it's uh, it's very usual on the on the on the process. Uh, it's one one issue that's recurrent about lead times, for example. Uh, it's I I I face this kind of issue for at least twenty years. It's something that I studied in university. It's about the queuing uh, uh, theory. It's it's little law. Uh, it's the, the main point. It's if you increase lead time, sometimes because you don't you don't sometimes you are overbooked. Then okay, I will increase the time for one week for four weeks, and then you have space to produce. What's the immediate reaction of the people? They say, oh, if I need something urgent, I just can have in four weeks from now. What I will do, I will increase my orders because I want to save space. I want to have uh, security. And then we increase the time to be space to produce. And then you just create the opposite situation. Then you have more and more orders. Then you increase the time again. At the end, you'll be like the dog chasing the tail. So, and it's, it's only for the business, no, it's a human behavior. I saw in the TVs when you start the, the COVID-19 in US, what people go to the supermarket, go and buy the uh, toilet paper. At the end, there's no toilet paper. Why? Because someone say, okay, there's no toilet paper anymore. So everybody goes and starts to buy. It's like when, when you have this kind of run to the bank, imagine a bank, that's a solid bank. And for a reason, they say, oh, we're updating our system. And for the next weeks, uh, people can only cash uh, $100 per, per day. Please don't, don't be panic. We have liquidity, we have the money. But right now, for internal reasons, you just can cash $1,000. What's happened the next day? Everybody goes to the bank and try to catch cash as much they want, they need, even if they don't need the money, they, but they want to cash because they are unsecured. So this is the point we are, we are creating, sometimes we are looking for fancy solutions to have a better forecast, to have a very automated system, can provide everything, they use 10 years data, they use this and that algorithm. And you forgot that at the end, most of the decisions will come from the people. And people have his, his beliefs, they have his behaviors, they have his bias, and then can really impact the full, the full chain. So it's important to have the best technology, to be fast, to really not spend one week on something that you can do in one, week, one day or a few hours, but you cannot eliminate uh, the human factor because it's at the end, uh, when you humans, humans need to take the decision on which input some data. If you disregard all this bias, behaviors, cultures, difference, uh, you, you can fail. Even having the best system, even having the best uh, support systems, best computers, the best installations, if you don't pay attention on the human behavior, you can fail. So, you know, Marcus, I, I see this sort of thing all the time and it's it's painful sometimes when leaders try to get these things out of order, when they try to go for technology before they have dealt with 
empowering and equipping and enabling their team, the people to do the right thing. You know, I often say people process tools in that order. We have to give people what they need. We have to ensure that they're educated and that they are empowered to do the job. We have to give them good, solid processes that they can then use, and then we can automate it. And when we get those things out of order, it's painful sometimes. And it means often that large organizations will make large investments that don't end up paying. What's one thing that you're looking forward to doing when the COVID-19 restrictions are over and things have cleared up and world is on the mend? What are you looking forward to doing after all of this? I think once one is travel again, <laughs> I'm missing traveling. <laughs> I do as well. As you know, I yeah. do a lot of travel normally yeah. um, and haven't had the opportunity. Actually, Marcus, the last trip I took was to Brazil. I landed home from Brazil and everything happened. And I haven't yeah. been on a plane since. I like to travel. It's it's something that I, I worked five years in the company in the corporate area in global supply chain. So I used to travel, staying home like one week at one week per month only. I always go into China, go into US, go into Europe. I like to meet new people. I like to understand the culture. Uh, right now, only only 40% of my team is it's in Brazil. Now I have a lot of people now working with me that are in Mexico, are in Canada, are in US. Some of them I know, some of them I didn't met yet. Uh, so I have to, I hope to have the chance to, to go there and meet the people personal, face-to-face, -face, talk with them uh, at least once you know, right now. It's, it's something that, that I'm looking forward. And the second, it's uh, really to, to understand what happened happen after that. So what you be, everybody said, oh, new normal, new normal, and it's what you be this new normal. So right now, I think it's at the end, it's, it's too, too soon to say that, that the world will be this way or that way, that nobody wants to travel anymore or nobody wants to, to do this or do that. What about on the professional side? What sort of goals do you have for the years to come? Uh, since we have a change on my, my position, my, my role right now in the company, one is to learn. Because uh, I'm still responsible for part of supply chain activities, but now it's Americas. In the past, I was, was saying the past is three, three, three weeks ago. So it's not that, that far. So two weeks ago, I was responsible only for South America. Now I have responsibility for the full Americas. So that's, we have a lot of activities in Mexico, US and Canada. Uh, so I need, to, I, need, I need to learn. So I need to learn even how supply chain activities are done there. It's quite different than the way they are doing here. Uh, although the systems are the same, the main process is the same, but you have course to have a difference because of some things need to be uh, different because of regu local regulations, uh, local providers. So I need to learn uh, how it's executed right now. Uh, how we can share the experiences uh, between South America and North America, what we can learn from each other, what we can improve in South America, what can improve in North America. Uh, I have a new responsibilities of uh, on commercial area, commercial management. So this I need to learn, I can say like 80% because it's at some point is quite new for me. 
I always be a, like a hundred percent supply chain guy, always on supply chain, hundred percent supply chain activities. And now I, I need to learn about credit limit, insurance, a credit risk, uh, this kind of thing that is more on the, on the commercial side. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fast learner and, I, and I, I'm looking for that. What's your approach to self-development? Are there books or podcasts or authors or blogs that you follow that help you grow in your own career? I always like to, to read. Sometimes it's strange because sometimes I, can, I read two or three books at the same time. And, but I try to always try to read an, an, a new book and, and try to make these connections. There are authors that I like, I really like it. It's, it's not in the like real 100% business uh, reading, but provides me a lot of insights. That's uh, Michael Gladwell. Uh, has a lot of a lot of books that help me a lot. So have the, for example, Blink, that uh, talks about the intuition. That sometimes how the the power of intuition. Sometimes that you take a decision in ten seconds. How to be sure that the decision is right or not. Uh, we have the outliers. It's very famous. So how the people overachieve in certain areas or certain business uh, is another good one. Uh, we have tipping point. It's another one that talking about when the things come viral, when you really transform the things. It's like a, for example, we have an event. We have, it's a, the, the, the people, the people development. How we can moving from just a small group and can really transform the whole organization. How it's really creating this this point of change. So. As I said, it's not 100% business, but his insights, it's, it's, very, it's very good. And, and the reading is very easy because it's always like cases, like stories, and it's very easy to, to very fast to, to read it. Well, thank you for listening to The Supply Chain Show. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your content. If you want to know more, check out my website, crystallee.net. Until next time. <laughs>